Hi, and welcome to the Family Brain Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to the glorious and messy world of family life and mental health. I'm your host, Megan Gibson. I'm a licensed clinical social worker with a private practice in Austin, Texas. I try to keep it real, and I invite guests who I think might help us navigate this journey of being human. Thanks for listening. Today on The Family Brain, I am joined by Dr. Laura Anderson, and I was so excited to find Dr. Anderson listening to podcasts. She's a frequent guest on other podcasts and also has her own show called Real World Parenting, and she talks about her 25 plus years of experience working with gender expansive children and their families, and I just love that she shares all of her experiences and really welcomes others into the conversation. I was a little hesitant to record this conversation just because it is such a heated topic in our world right now. There's legislation trying to ban people from being gender expansive and there's just a lot happening. And so I was anxious and a little bit nervous to cover this topic, but I think it's important one. There's a lot of families who are navigating this and it's something that also can create a lot of fear with the legislation and often the hate that comes with doing things in a way that is unexpected. I hope you learn as much as I do from Dr. Anderson. She has such a welcoming way of talking about this topic and really invites, or I felt invited into the conversation. And I think it's important for all of us to sort of have a better understanding of what some of these terms mean. And hopefully it gives us some compassion for ourselves, for our kids, for our world, and maybe a a little bit of a different perspective on some of the things that are going on right now. So I hope you enjoy and learn as much as I did from our conversation. So today I have Dr. Laura Anderson, who I'm so excited to share with the listeners of the Family Brain Podcast, because in addition to talking about um, or working with families around adoption um, and neurodiversity, you also talk with people about gender identity, which is something, if I'm being honest, I've kind of avoided talking about on the podcast for fear of messing up. And I really was thinking, I don't get that nervous coming on the podcast anymore talking to people. And I was a little nervous because I feel like I don't want to mess up, but I think that's where we stop ourselves from having these conversations. So thank you so much for sharing everything you've learned in your journey. Yeah. Oh no. And I appreciate that very much. I think, I think you're right. Like one of my biggest things is how do we start having these conversations? Cause there's such a, a need, whether you're an ally or whether you're navigating this in your own home like sitting down and figuring out how to learn more through hard conversations is so critical. So, well, and I found your, your perspective and voice through a podcast that you were interviewed on. You also have your own podcast, real world parenting tips and scripts for families on roads, less traveled. But I just was excited to hear your perspective because it kind of gave me some peace about around the topic of like, what I feel like I hear from you is like, it is complicated. So it makes sense that you feel a little confused. Yeah. And we're, I mean, the world is such a gendered place, right? Like, and we, 
We get messages from before kids are born now, right? In terms of wanting to know if if we're going to have a boy or a girl so that we can choose colors and toys and and we start imagining the ways we're going to connect with kids of different genders in in exciting ways sometimes, right? Like family cooking passed down to the generation, fishing trips, like not that those have to be gendered, but for a lot of folks, they are. And there's a lot of messaging from before birth, infancy, toddlerhood, right on up through about expected behavior for people assigned male at birth and people assigned female at birth. And I think it's been, on the one hand, one of the things I talk about is it's 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 newer to many of us. If you if it hasn't come into your home in the past and it's not an area of work that you have, it may feel like all of a sudden it's sort of everywhere you turn. And yes, we're discussing it more, but no, it isn't brand new. It's been in, in indigenous cultures around the world. There are examples of folks with gender fluidity and male and female essences and not as as strictly limited into two boxes determined by your part. So, so it's a great time to talk about it because I think it's coming home to a lot of kitchen tables and kids are talking about friends who are changing names and pronouns and, and they themselves may be wondering about their own gender. So it's really great that, that you're asking some questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, I was just thinking about, I did a podcast, um, probably five years ago and I didn't even know what the term cis was like cisgender. Like I didn't know five years ago. And so uh, what I'd love to start with is just kind of providing people with some basic terminology, like even the difference between gender and sex. I think a lot of people don't understand that there is a difference. Could you speak yeah. to that a little bit? just to sort of sure. start off. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's you know, language is so important and ever changing. <laughs> both of the, you're going to hear a lot of both and. It's really important to try to keep a handle on parts of it and it changes. However, there are some kind of foundational ones to start with. First of all, the way that we think about it is and I when I talk to young kids, I say, "We used to think your gender was in your parts. Now we know it's in your head and your heart." <laughs> and then so sex, sex assigned at birth, I often say is what the doctors, you know, they held you up in the world, you came into this world, and they take a look at an area of your body, and they announce whether you are a boy or a girl. But what we know is that sex is tied to biology and genitals. So there's male, female, and intersex, folks who are born with a with a combination of, of body parts. And then gender identity is what's in your head, in your heart, how male, female, both or neither you feel. Um, and that's head and heart stuff. It does not have to be tied to your parts. Now for 90, the data is showing us anywhere from 85 to 95% of the people, our head, heart, and our parts all line up. And we're cisgender. The majority of us, according to the recent data, have head, heart, and parts that are congruent and in alignment. Um, and so, yeah, gender identity is in your head, and your heart, how male, female, both or neither you feel gender expression. And I always think about the word express is what you show the world. It's how you show up in your gender, how you express what you're feeling inside in terms of your gender identity. So why use me as an example, when I talk about this, I was assigned female at birth. Um, I, in my head and my heart identify with being a woman. 
So my gender identity is female. My gender expression is really wide ranging. I actually was a tomboy as a kid. I'm just as likely to find me in baseball hats and sweatpants as you are in dresses and other things. Now I tend to lean a little bit more stereotypically masculine in my expression. So my gender identity is female. My gender expression tends to range a little bit from masculine to feminine all the way around. So I always just think of the word express, show, how you show what you're feeling about your gender inside. And then an important one to mention, kind of the four, you know, the last of the four, the sex assigned at birth, gender identity, gender expression, and then sexual attraction. It gets lumped in a lot. So sexual attraction really has to do with who you're romantically and physically attracted to. It does not have to do with your parts. So there are um, people who are in full alignment, who are cisgender, and that's what that means when head, heart, and parts align, um, that you're cisgender. There are people who are gay, straight, pansexual, bisexual. Within the transgender community, there are also people who are gay, straight. <laughs> it's it's not limited. So, so your sexual attraction is to whom you're romantically and sexually attracted. And this is this next analogy is a teeny bit. I mean, it's oversimplified, but one of the, it stuck with me when I was first learning about this years ago. Somebody said, "Your sexual attraction is who you might want to go to bed with. Your gender identity is who you want to go to bed as." Hmm. Right. I kind of, yeah, I'm like, I like it. Simple, but that really differentiates. Right. And they've been lumped all in together for advocacy reasons. And some gay and lesbian folks are, are gender expansive. Some are not, but they've been kind of lumped in all together. So, you know what I'm just last, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say one last definition would be transgender. So people say what exactly transgender um, just refers to folks who, who don't fall neatly in those two boxes according to their um, genitals. So transgender is an important definition to, to have, right? So it's for for um, folks whose head and heart felt sense of gender doesn't fit into the box that they would have been assigned when they were born. So if they're born with a penis and the doctor says, yes, you know, we have a boy. And yet as they develop and grow, it's clear that their head and heart felt a sense of gender is not male then they fall largely into the umbrella of transgender. So heads, heart, head, heart, and parts are not congruent is how we talk about it. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm kind of thinking of the listener who's listening to this and thinking, well, this is just why I give up. Just forget it. But what I would like to just put out there in the universe is that if there's someone you love in this world or care about, you don't want to just forget it. Because that's where that's where it matters is the connection that you're going to keep because you're trying, you know, and I think that that's the thing you're you're not probably going to show up one day and be like, nailed it, you know, but that if you want to keep it right, I just saw some beautiful ad, I think it was from the Trevor Project. And it was about there was this probably 80 something year old man in tears saying he wished he hadn't wasted so much time being stubborn, you know, I just forget it. I can't do it. You know, and and I think that that, I just want to put that out there. Like if there's someone you care about, like just keep listening, just keep trying to process because I think it is complicated and uh, and it and it can be hard to process the information. But I think knowing that someone is trying is a big deal. 
makes all the, and it's the single most protective thing you can do. I think somehow our national in the U.S. and maybe worldwide conversation has shifted to the idea that this is everywhere and it's a little bit frivolous and it's like, oh, the latest trendy thing I got to be getting right as an adult. And, and the kids are, my kids are telling me it's another chance for them to gotcha me about how clueless I am about things. Are there places where sure you've got a teen who is proud of what they know and wanting to teach you a few things? Absolutely. Teens are lovely for that. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to lose sight when I talk about this, that absolutely the, the the mental health statistics on kids who are exploring their gender and who are not supported by family. And this is really critical because sometimes parents will also say to me, I don't know, all those, all those kids who seem gender expansive and or they, they seem like they got some mental health issues. And I'm like, what we know in the data is the single most protective factor that parents and family members can engage in is staying curious, being open to conversation, affirming and learning how to affirm in the way that your kids needs. That does not mean rubber stamping a yes to everything your child comes home and announces they're going to do, but it means staying open to learning and seeking extra support if you do have a kid who's insistent that they're needing something they're not getting. So I don't, when we talk about the ways that it's complicated, both are true. It is complicated. As parents and, and you know, not youngsters, we have to unlearn a lot of what we sort of took for granted. And it is an unsettling feeling. And we come by it honestly, because the messages are everywhere. And, and, and yet, kids who are navigating an identity that is not the mainstream, that is not that 85 to 95%, do not do well if they don't have people around them trying and staying curious and learning. Do you happen to know what the suicide or suicide attempt rate is for kids like? It's three times uh, for LGBTQ, for gay and trans kids, it's three to six times higher than kids who are not wrestling. I've seen some statistics that in the last year, 20 to 25% of kids who identified as trans or non-binary had suicidal ideation or attempts. That's one in five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it it's really, really important that we tune in yeah. and 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 learn. Some kids are exploring. Some kids move through, they're checking it out. It's part of their identity. But unfortunately, a lot of the the mainstream conversations have been have been around like, see, everybody's just it's just this frivolous trying it on. The majority of kids who are struggling are really struggling because there is more going on than an exploration. They need to be seen and heard and safe and supported for their identities. But I wonder if that creates um, an additional difficulty in making sure those kids who are really exploring it, I I don't know, do you feel like it sometimes gets lost because there are some kids that are like, you know, and, and so it's almost like, how do we, how do we get to that point of knowing when we really do need to protect the child or just, we just assume we're going to protect them and that changes over time. I don't know. Yeah, both yes to both of those. So you start okay. off thinking, okay, this could be an exploration. It could that isn't going to result in a long-term identity piece. It could. Or this could be a long-term identity piece. Parenting's a marathon. In the long run, you want to know you're connected to your kid. You want to know that you are they feel supported, that they feel safe talking to you about things. Um that the decision you make on a Tuesday when your child comes out to you and says, "Hey, I think I need a different name and pronouns. You know, it matters what you say that day. 
It does, but it also matters more how you show up in an ongoing basis. So in answer to your question, if you have a child who is in a lot of distress around their gender, um, it's really important to just seek seek support. Um, locally, there are gender specialists. I have online courses for parents who want to know more about this stuff that I designed because I'm inundated. I turn people away every week because there are so many people wanting to get this right. And nobody, I mean, I, I'm a mom, I get it. Nobody wants to 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 make an impulsive decision with their kid that they later think, oh my gosh, why didn't I know not to do that or whatever? And yet far more harm's being done in the in in the vein of kids who needed decisions to be made not being made. So in my courses and in general, I talk to parents about like, here are some ways to ask your kids, go get a little bit of information, talk to your kid about the fact that you don't know for sure what's happening with their gender, um, but you want to learn. And your tone is so huge. If your child comes out to you and says, you know, I think I need different, I think I'm going to use the pronouns they, or I think I'm going to use different pronouns. Even just the difference between saying, you know, and if those of you who can't see my face on the pot, I'm pulling my face a little bit and I'm saying, how long have you known this versus like, how long have you known this? Right. Like totally different. Like, what do I need to understand? What, how do I, I don't know much about that, but I'd like to learn. How do I need to understand? I also think sometimes gender affirming care gets a bad rap because there's this assumption that, that you know, the way to do it is your kid comes home and says, I need a new pronoun, new names and pronoun. And tomorrow you're in court changing their names and you're making a doctor's appointment to start estrogen or testosterone and thinking about surgeries. That's where our parent brain races. Our parent brain races forward to surgeries, to societal targeting, to um, whatever our family beliefs are, you know, that this is a sin, that this is going to be a problem for grandma. I mean, that's where the parenting worrying brain races. And this is an invitation if you've got a young person that is letting you know this is something they're exploring to just sit back. There are multiple steps involved before you get to a place of any kind of decision making of that nature. So it is staying curious. It is learning how your child is thinking about it, where they're getting their information. When are they happiest in their gender? Okay, well, where do you feel best in your gender? Where do you feel worse or or, or wrongest, <laughs> you know, in your gender? Help me understand this because this isn't my lived experience, right? So let's talk, pull up a seat, right? Let's talk. And if you've already had the conversation and you didn't do that and you said, what? Oh, right, because so-and-so at school is doing it. Now everybody, right? These are these things we do, parenting on the fly, when we're nervous or when they're in the middle of a daily routine or whatever. It's okay. You can go back and you can say, hey, I've been thinking and I want to make sure I don't miss something. Mm -hmm. Let's make a plan. Let's talk. Tell me, you know, who else do you know? Where are you getting in? But not like, where are you getting this? Oh, sure. The TikTok telling you this is the latest thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Pamela. Always like, is that TikTok news? Yeah, yeah, I do. That's exactly a quote in my house, too, with my kiddo, like TikTok news, you know, kind of a thing. Um, so I think it's really valuable just to breathe. Notice if your mind races into the future. OK, and just pause, because what you need to do is get to know your kid's experience. And each kid's different. If you have a defiant kid, you may just sort of be like, right, OK, this is the next rule we're going to challenge. This is the next you know, attention seeking thing we're going to do. And it is important. So you know that about your kid. Yeah. 
You know, you do. All right. Well, what do you do knowing that you know that about your kid? You still stay calm. You still talk about how they're getting their information, um, what they want you to understand. Where are they happy? Where are they unhappy? And not that every non-binary or transgender kid. So non-binary is another definition. Non-binary is for kids who are very clearly say, non-binary, I don't fit in the binary. I don't fit in those two. Non-binary, those two boxes. I am a combination of male, female, both as my gender identity. So it doesn't mean that we wait for every non-binary kid or a kid who's asking about name and pronouns to be so miserable that there's proof that this must be real, right? So both are true. We're not rushing toward interventions, but we're also not waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting until our kid is miserable in a way that shows us that there must be something to this. You know, within the field, there are a lot of folks who say, I don't know why we, a lot of um, trans and and non-binary folks who say, I don't know why we why do we have to wait for such levels of distress to believe it? So there's a sweet spot and it, and it helps to get help. There are some online groups that I can link up in my stuff, my courses. um, There's a trans family Alliance group out of uh, California that helps. They do online stuff that helps parents pause, recognize their own fears and their own worries and their, and and breathe and circle back to understanding what their kids experiences when in doubt, you want to err on the side of taking it seriously because the anxiety, the depression, the substance use, the um, suicide attempts, risky drug use behavior, these are all shame-based behaviors. And shame-based behaviors go way up when kids feel unsupported and unseen if they're navigating an identity outlet. One of the other things that comes up too for parents a lot is like, oh, well, you know, I want to be an NBA professional NBA player when I'm an adult, but I'm 5'3 and I didn't really play basketball. So that's not reasonable. So why would I tell my kid they could do this, right? I'm like, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. And we'll get you some support. We'll meet you where you're at. How do you think about gender? What part of this is so unsettling for you? How do we learn about it together? You come by it honestly. We've all been taught differently. And then also recognize your kid wanting a car or wanting to join a team or wanting to get a part-time job is different from your kid saying, there is this element of my very being that is uncomfortable in conflict and not okay. Mm-hmm. That's different from just having a want or an ask from a kid's standpoint. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting. As you were talking, I was thinking about how I feel like so many of the topics I talk about on this podcast are how to figure out how to keep your own yeah. stuff in check so yeah. that when your kid comes to you on any topic, you have sort of the, the level of calm to be reflective. And it just, I, cause I was thinking of, it depends on the moment of somebody saying something, just how, you know, so, so much of this is just keeping our own wits about us and not sort of letting our brains run away with us. Yes, absolutely. It's staying balanced. I always say knees bent, palms up is language yeah. I talk about, because if you're coming at your kid with a finger pointed, like you, this is the next craze, you know, that social media stuff, you're going to get a retreating kid or you're going to get a blowing up kid. And you're not going to get their full story. Because the other thing I talk to parents about is if you're 
hardcore, constantly talking with your kid, trying to prove to them that it can't be real, they're going to swing to the other door. They're going to start to die on their sword about how trans they are. And many of them will. And how masculine they need to be and how you don't. And then you, you, then you set up a situation potentially where it's tricky for kids to go back later and say, you know what? I'm not so sure. Like, I really want to be sure about this. If there's this huge power dynamic and it's set up so that somebody's going to be wrong and somebody's going to be right, that has potential ramifications in the long run for kids and families too. Because we, no matter what kids do on this journey, we want them to be able to keep talking to us about what they still, what still resonates with them and what feels, um, what feels right. One of the other things that I thought was interesting is just like, I know you mentioned before the terminology kind of can be ever-changing and do your best to keep. I love the the term um, gender expansive that you, you've talked a little bit about. Can you just sort of talk a little yeah. bit about that? And like, is it different than transgender? Is it different than just, and what do we do with all of the terms? And we're, <laughs> yeah, <there laughs> I, guess keep learning. I guess is it's just, just keep learning. Yeah. Listen to stuff, keep learning, listen to people talk about their experience. Gender expansive, I love because it suggests, as I mentioned, when kids come into the world, when we operate with other humans, we have an almost automatically sorted list of criteria we associate with maleness and femaleness. Colors, interests, clothing, makeup, no makeup, jewelry, no ma- hairstyle. We have all these things that we sort of auto sort and file. And there are expectations, even for really young children. By preschool, kids who are not doing what's expected based on their sex assigned at birth, other kids notice, other adults definitely notice if a toddler who they're assuming is male is wearing princess dresses and spinning, or in a toddler who they're assuming is female is, you know, rough and tumble and push and tonka trucks. And like people notice, they may not necessarily have intense feelings about it at the time, but they definitely notice. So gender expansive, I love because it is a way to say that this is a child who's engaging in something that expands on what we expected. Um, they're not following the the classic old school formula for what we expect with somebody assigned boy at birth or assigned girl at birth. And I like it better too than non-conforming because that's also like being not white, right? It's like if when you set the norm, this is just like, no, they're they're expanding on what was expected of them. They are doing unexpected things that would be more expected of kids of a different sex assigned at birth. Which when you say it that way, it's like, no wonder this is happening because so many of the rules are just dumb. And I think we've all kind of known that for a while, but finally some people have the courage to just be like, so well, what? All. Part of what I do in the presentations when I talk about it, I have this slide in this presentation, I do like strict gender stereotypes and the idea that there are two boxes that we should each follow do not serve um, girl, like when you look at the statistics on stereotypically feminine girls who are less communicative, who are or less assertive, who are trying to be attractive, who are like, there are these t-shirts I post on this screen. This is like, I'm too pretty to do math. I'm like, yeah, like there's this assumption that femininity is weakness. It is less leadership. It is less intelligence at its extreme. That doesn't serve 
us, right? And the same is true for boys. It does not serve boys to be expected to be rotten, naughty, evil, dirty, mean, you know what I mean? Like all of these things that were like, boys will be boys. Like, nope, that actually doesn't serve them either, right? So health is allowing your kid to, to tell you what they need and what resonates with them. Sometimes people think that this work is trying to strip the world of gender and make everybody these like, I don't know, amorphous, androgynous, no gender, you know, maleness and femaleness are both bad kind of people. Nope. If you have a kid who quote unquote is all boy and super comfortable with that, run with it. If you have a girl who is all girl and comfortable with that, you know, find your place around. How are you going to do that? This work is for the kids who come in saying something isn't, something's not right. You expect me to do and be this. It doesn't work for me. And so I need to think about how I can do that different because it's causing me upset. It's mm-hmm. causing me pain. I don't like it when I have to choose to go in the girl's line or the boy's bathroom or the whatever, you know, all of these kinds of things. It doesn't fit for me. It doesn't show who I am. When you, and I don't know the exact science behind it, but when you think about everything that happens between the time a brain sprouts for maleness and we get to the genitals, like think of the millions of cellular and or chemical fluid, whatever kinds of things that happen between in, in development in utero. And, and think about the way that some of our societal ideas are also changing around what's acceptable. I, you know, people will say to me, it's just permission. It's just because nowadays we're letting kids do this. Like in my day, nobody did it because it wasn't a thing. And, and I'm like, nope, then we wouldn't have kids from non-accepting families telling us this. Then we would see only trans and non-binary kids coming from other trans and non-binary or super progressive lefty, lefty, lefty family. That's not what's happening. They're happening across race, class, culture, political viewpoints. Um, It isn't just a matter of giving permission and then this stuff is sprouting from nowhere. Um, One of the things I talk about in terms of gender expansivity is that it's really typical. A lot of kids, you ask any preschool teacher you find, Kids love the dress up corner. They spin, they twirl, they, you know, they enjoy trying on stuff. It is really developmentally healthy to explore outside what's expected of your gender. Lots of kids do that and then grow up to be straight and cisgender. Mm -hmm. Another chunk of kids explore, they're expansive, they do unexpected things. And they grow up to identify as gay or lesbian or pansexual. There's a a, a, to whom I am attracted piece that goes along with gender expansivity for some people. And then there's a third group who explore and persist and really need us to understand that something is going on in their innermost workings that we need to honor. Yeah. Sounds like it's like, like you said, with the hands up, the the acceptance of being in a place of not knowing for a period of time and that it could shift. Sitting with ambiguity is an enormous thing, right? Sometimes we also have to work with parents just like, slow down, slow down. You know, we actually don't know exactly where this is going. Don't let your mind race ahead and don't, you know, I mean, it it really is like being okay. Because that's one of the things I say. Parenting's hard enough mm-hmm. when your kid is walking the same path you did or your kid is walking a path that is, you know, mainstream-ish, right? right. It's hard enough that way. But when you're in uncharted territory, when your kid is saying stuff that is challenging your very beliefs 
um, then it's really important to be gentle with yourself. You come by it honestly, but also recognize your child's at risk if you're not doing your work to explore and stay curious and and commit to learning more. And there's lots of, there's online information, there's group. I mean, there's lots of ways you can learn and tell your kid, I'm going to learn, I'm making mistakes. Um, let's talk about this. Explain to me why this is important. And, and most people usually have some kind of consultation with a professional before they're changing names or, or certainly before they're making any medical decisions, but somehow we race right toward that and think being affirming means sign me up for all that stuff. No, there are layers of assessment. You have a person doing the assessment and I do these assessments. You have to know child psychology. You have to understand what, when an 11-year-old says something, how does that differ from an eight-year-old or from a 14-year-old in terms of their ability to understand? You have to understand how gender develops. So so don't be afraid that if you re, if you're looking for somebody who knows gender, that you're train tracked, that you're going to be railroaded into a no looking back path. A, a, a responsible gender affirming therapist does far, far, far from that. Did you ever read the book? Um, this is how it always is by Lori Frankel. I had her on the podcast years ago, like before she was. I I sent her a note because I was like, I picked you before you were in research. <laughs> um, but it, what I love about that book, it's fiction for anybody who hasn't read it, but it, it it kind of goes back to like, this is how it always is. There's always something in parenting. And it makes me think of what you're saying about um, being okay with the ambiguity. Like that should be like yeah. the book for a new parent. I mean, right. It's like ambiguity that the yep. end, you know, yes. that, that it's just much more <laughs> complicated. Years of ambiguity and right. self-doubt and other people who don't know as much judging you for things they have no place judging you for. Yeah. It's a hard one because we still send pretty loud messages in our culture that if your child is gender expansive, if your kid is doing unexpected things, that either you created it or you shouldn't allow it. So, you know, I hear people saying, well, there's no dad in the home or, mm. well, you know, the mom was an angry feminist. And so, what I, you know, like I've heard all these kinds of things to sort of assume that parents create this identity out of their own lacking or issues, right? It's like we still are looking to explain the aberration a lot. We're looking to explain what went wrong. How come this is happening now? What are we doing wrong you know, who can we blame? And, and you know, folks in community, so I am cisgender, I'm heterosexual. My lived experience comes through parenting around this, this realm. And, and there, I hear a lot from other parents of people saying, well, don't you think if your kid had more female role models or male role models that this wouldn't be happening? Or, and we just, we just don't, we don't have the data, right? So at the, at the worst, the parents are being subtly or not so subtly told they're making this stuff happen. And at the and if they're not the ones who create it, they darn sure shouldn't support it, right? Like there's this idea that you are being duped by your child or, or leftist agenda or stuff like that too, if you allow your kid to do this. And so it's a really hard place to be as a parent, to have other people looking at you and your choices. And it, it's a public thing. It's a visible thing for a lot of families, if you're in a known community around public and your child is known to have been assigned male at birth and he is wearing princess dresses and jewelry and 
people will notice mm-hmm. and they will, they laugh, they make awkward comments. They, it's, it really requires thick skinned parenting where, and so, and I also understand why parents are afraid. Anti-trans legislation is up 800 times this year. It is. I was just on a call. Yeah. I was just on a call with, um, it's Equality Texas. And he was saying this year, 69 bills were submitted in anti-trans legislation, which like, is they didn't have power for a week because they can't figure out electricity, but that they're going to do that. You know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And it, and it really, and so it also pokes at this myth of everybody's doing it these days and nobody cares and all the kids are. So just roll your eyes and you'll get through it. What I see is there are more allies. There are more informed people who understand it. There's also a very strong undercurrent of backlash directed at providers, directed at parents, directed at legislature. Um, And so it doesn't, that doesn't fit with a, this is whimsical, this is trendy, the, my kid gets cool points for doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like this, it's it's a really strange mixed messaging right now to parents and families and kids uh, about the legitimacy. Because in the end, what a lot of these arguments are about is, is this legitimate? Mm-hmm. And if it is, what do we do? But we, but most of the energy gets put toward, is this legitimate? You, people highlight stories of folks who have decided not to continue. They've started hormones because they believed that they wanted to feminize, for instance. And then they make the, then they realize either living that way, they mature, they age, they do a, any number of reasons. They decide that their gender journey, this web that is gender is going to take a turn and people are pointing them out as really central one-off stories in in major media when we know the data, and I hope we keep getting more and more, but we know the data says that the people who, quote, detransition, the people who stop taking hormones when they started are between one and two percent. Mm-hmm. That's And when you look at regret, the concept of what if they regret it? I'm like 50% of marriages end in divorce. Like there's, and, and do you regret where you moved? Do you regret a job you didn't take? Now I know, and I always have to say, I believe me, I understand deciding not to live in Albuquerque is not the same kind of decision as some medical interventions for kids. But, but a lot of these arguments come out of parent fear. They'll regret. I don't want them to be mad at me that I, I don't want them to wish they'd done anything different. I'm, I'm sort of sending them into this idea of an extended gender purgatory if I say yes to any of this stuff. And this is just really an invitation. Notice if your mind races forward, step back, palms up, stay curious, get help. And you are do more harm if your energy is eye rolling the rest of the family, you're going to kill your grandmother or you're going to, you know, like you can't do this like that, that you may be thinking that that's a conversation for your girlfriends, your own therapist, your parents you'll meet through some other support groups. Um, That's a conversation for other places. If you need support around it, I'm not minimizing the way that families have been ruptured in some decisions around this stuff. Um, So it's not that as a parent, you're not allowed to have your feelings and your grief and your worries. It's that we want you to, to handle them so that you can parent not from a place of fear mm-hmm. and not from a place of grief. Yeah. 
one of the things I heard you talk a little bit about, and I think you'll say it much better than I could could figure out how to say it, but something about it not being so much a gender spectrum, but more of a web. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> right. We've gone from boxes to a, to a line, which is a spectrum. And the line was a way of or moving on from the line to a web is a way of recognizing that, again, a line suggests if I go over there and that's not where I'm supposed to be, then I have to come back mm-hmm. right along this straight line, that the path is very linear, it's clear, it is narrow. And if it isn't what you were assigned at birth, it's still linear, clear, and narrow. Mm-hmm. Web suggests that, again, some people explore and then don't continue. Other people explore and then start medical interventions and change their path. Although very few, again, very few, but some do, right? Mm -hmm. So it allows a little bit more wiggle room from this notion that we are in the wrong body. I think in the wrong body was a very good attempt to explain, like my wheels turn all the time when I do that. I'm like, that means if they like I can literally like my eyes squint my forehead wrinkles and I'm I'm like doing this gymnastics in my head trying to understand some of these concepts and I think the idea of gender not being as straightforward as I was born a girl but I 100% knew from the time I was three that I'm a boy and so that's the only way to do transness there is more and more evidence and lived experience and research that there are a number of people who exist in a place that is in between and feel elements of maleness and femaleness and, and, and both as well. And I admit, I mean, like, I literally was like, I mean, I really, let me, okay, let me, let me sit with that. Let me wrap my mind around that. What would that be like? You know, and I try to imagine my experiences and I'm like, well, but mine was my expression. A tomboy is not the same thing as right a tomboy is interest it's expression somebody non-binary saying in my head and heart being called a girl doesn't feel right um joining the girl's line doesn't feel right doing it like it's it does not capture who i am they're different things one is much more head and heart identity based and the other is expression what i show the world the the wide range in which i can do femaleness and i would love it if we get to a wider range that you can do femaleness and maleness Maleness in particular, people are still a lot more, they put a lot more scrutiny on gender expansive males. Like young little boys are given less flexibility and freedom to experiment with nail polish and makeup and and dresses and dolls than little girls are to be rough and tumble and be like dad and want to play in the dirt piles. And like we, there's still this cultural piece where we celebrate that some of us a little bit, like, yeah, I love a good, strong girl. And then when boys do it, it's a little bit like you can kind of hear the the air getting sucked out of the room a little bit or people laugh because they think it's entertaining. There's there's yucky stuff that happens to gender expansive boys moving through the world in terms of people seeing them as frivolous and entertaining and weaker. It's it's really powerful what what kids start doing. And, and don't think kids don't know from preschool age is a very big age at which kids come and start saying, I don't like this. I don't want to be with the girls. Something isn't right. Preschool's huge. The kids will say, you can't be a princess. You're a girl or that's for boys or that's for girls loudly to each other in preschool. And puberty is another big time. So that's, I know we 
probably need to wrap up, but puberty is another, I could talk and talk for hours. Um, Puberty is another big time where, and this is one of the things I think causes more confusion for parents. Some, I have a number of parents who say to me, okay, if my kid was two and had been saying since they were two, now they're 12 and they were saying since they were two, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, I'm a boy. And everything about them had been masculine and they'd always lived consistently with that. I mean, it'd be hard and I'd be worried, but I would get it. But this, this kid, my kid is 11, my kid is 12. And sure, they've been a little bit of a tomboy or they've been, you know, a little bit softer as a boy. But, but this is coming out of nowhere. Puberty is another big time when we see kids come forward because secondary sex characteristics start to develop. So their bodies begin to change. Cognitively, they're also more able to understand their own experiences and that their own experiences might be different from other people's experiences. So there's, there's really a, it's a natural time, even though people say, oh boy, it's puberty, it's adolescent confusion, it is trendiness. Again, it's like, nope, there are scientific reasons why puberty is a time when kids come forward when they may not have, but also just the ability to combine their thinking and their words to express what their experience has been is much better at age 11 or 12 than it is at seven, eight, or nine. So that's another reason to, if your child begins talking about this in puberty, but you didn't have glaring, persistent signs when they were younger, it's a reason to stay curious. Don't dismiss it out of hand. Just stay curious and get more information. It's the dismissal that that creates the disconnect between the families and creates the stress ultimately um, for young people. Yeah. Well, what I love about everything you're saying is I feel like it, it helps me. I think I was trying so hard to understand new things myself that I was just making new boxes. Which box does that go in? It's like, I was like one of the professional organizers. And I was like, is that, is that with the snacks or is that with the chips, you know? And, um, I love the, that image of the web that it's like, it's each, it's like a fingerprint. It's each person has their story. And the more that they are in tune with their story, the more they can share it. And I think what I was trying to do earlier in my learning process was like, well, what's the new box? What, what box, you know, and just kind of really wanting there to be more order than maybe there is. And there's some discomfort in that. I like, I like like a good box sometimes. Yep, we sure do. And they help things make predictable and they help us feel good about our right decisions. And they also, yeah, it just helps us feel more mastery. <laughs> and like we can make these decisions from a, a confident place. I mean, and and again, I think it's, no, it's natural that parents worry, right? You know, most of us want our kids to have enough hard stuff that they develop resiliency. And they, just enough resiliency, Right. Mm-hmm. Like just they want, we want just enough hardship so that they can bounce back and be independent. But we don't want too much. And right. this is this is if you really start paying attention. So if you're a parent, this is new to you and you go do a bunch of Googling, you're going to see all the statistics on trans suicide, trans mental health uh, hotlines, depression, anxiety. You're going to read stories about hate crimes that have happened and transphobic events. And then that brings up an additional wall of fear, which has parents locked down even more like this can't be. What do I have to do so that this isn't, you know, and and I get that instinct and you can, you know, so you can do you can do hard things. That's the other thing I want to 
sort of end with as we think about this. When I first started doing presentations, I really centered the parent experience and said, you know, we push parents into a binary too, where you're either all accepting and it's thumbs up, nobody ever looks back, yay, we can leave you alone and don't you have a lucky kid. Or we have these, you know, evil rejecting parents that you leave alone and try to get the kid to a youth center or something. Mm -hmm. The parent experience is so much more nuanced and broad than that. It's not fair to push us into boxes either. And, and I started doing a fair amount of talking around like, um, grief doesn't mean you're grieving that your child is trans. You're grieving that your expectations are gone. Your child isn't going to have a quinceanera. Your bat mitzvah is now a bar mitzvah. If you feel comfortable going public, right? Like there's all of these, that's grief. That's loss. That's loss. It doesn't mean your child is the loss. It means your expectations and the things that you had come to assume were going to happen and need to be grief. So I talked about grief. I talked about the worries. I talked about guilt because then parents look back on, what did I say earlier? I should never have said that. Like, why didn't I, you know, all this stuff. And I was talking to a group of trans, uh, parents of trans kids. And this one mom was like, it's so awesome. You're talking about this stuff. It's so fabulous. We need to really do it more often. And when do we get to celebrate? Like, mm-hmm. you can't end on that note. Like, there's so much cool stuff with my trans kids. She she has a kid who is cisgender and she has a kid who is transgender. And, and this one particular woman was like, I've had conversations with my trans kid and we have walked through the fire together and I have had to learn and grow and we are closer. And, and like, this stuff wouldn't, my relationship with my child would not be what it is if we hadn't learned through this <laughs> to even the roosters agree here that this is important. <laughs> the roosters are growing that this is important it's Im- so so i also want to leave on that note if you are on this journey and you wanted to hear this conversation and you're still not sure what's going to happen you yes there will be hard parts absolutely there'll be things you can't control and there'll be skills you have to build in your kids for the things you can't control and you will meet amazing people. You will find community and others who want safe spaces the way you do. You will have new thought leader experiences. You will go to places you wouldn't have gone before. You will see the world in different ways, some of which are hard and some of which are pretty beautiful in terms of the complexity of human diversity. So so let me end on the hope note. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And can you just tell people where they can find more information about you, your courses and all the resources you have to share? I'm super excited in terms of the timing of this. So when was it? January 24th, I think it was. Yes. I launched some online courses. The best place to find them is at um, my website. It's www.drlaraanderson.com. All one word, lowercase. And you can even Google Dr. Laura Anderson, psychology, gender, whatever that'll come up. And there's my podcast is on there, blogs. And then also the courses are just brand new. I updated all of them. There's different modules for different ages of kids. And it isn't just me video chatting. It's also, I write questions for parents to ask themselves with each module. I have questions for your kids with each different module and scripts and stuff. Cause I'm all about, okay, cool. But what do I say when? So how does this change our kitchen table tomorrow if I'm learning this stuff? So, um, yeah, the website's probably the best place to to start exploring the stuff I'm doing around this. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all you've learned in your own journey and just sharing it with all of us. And I love, again, I know I've said this, but I love that you, um, I don't know, I just feel like you have a very welcoming way of like inviting people into this conversation, which I very much appreciate. Oh, thanks, Megan. Yeah, it's hard work for me. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. If you've thought of someone you know while you were listening, I would love it if you would share this episode with them. And if you really loved it, you could leave a five-star review. That helps people find the show and spread the word. Thanks so much for listening.